0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. I'm Erica Carbajal with Becker's Hospital Review, and today's episode is going to be part two of a series on women and clinical trials. We're joined by three speakers. First, we have Jennifer Jones McMeans. She's the Divisional Vice President of Global Clinical Affairs at Abbott. Natalie Monegro, she's the Associate Director of Clinical Trial Diversity and Inclusion at AbbVie. And finally, we're joined by Stacy Bledsoe, Senior Director of Global Clinical Trial Diversity and Inclusion at Gilead. Stacy, Jennifer, Natalie, thanks so much for hopping on today.
1: Thank Can you, you for having us.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. And Now that we've talked about all of this, how do we ensure that more women are actually included in the clinical trial ecosystem?
2: Yeah, I think Jen hit the the nail right on the head, right? I think, you know, we have the FDA guidances that require it, but we have a responsibility around education as well. Um, And so we have to make sure that everyone understands the importance of these trials and the importance of medical research and what it means to them. You know, I tell people all the time, you have to talk about what's in it for them, what's in it for their community. Um, And so I think education is key. Um, And so, Natalie and Jen, I don't know if you have additional things to add, but I would start with that for sure.
3: Yeah, I think I think we need to start uh, designing trials with women in mind and particularly women, women of color, women who are caretakers, not only of children, but of elderly parents, women who have jobs, women who don't have regular schedules. Um, The same way that the recent (laughs) guidance from last year um, lays out a plan for um, diversifying trials with respect to race and ethnicity, I think the same type of plan applies for women. We create something proactive. We think about the, put ourselves in in the patient's shoes Uh, as a woman. What would I like? What fits in my lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Um, Can I just take off for three or four hours of the day? (laughs) Um, Right. No, I can't, (laughs) Uh, you know, I need, I need help with childcare. I need arrangements. I need to make sure everything else in my life is balanced. If I'm going to take that precious, precious time away from my day uh, to contribute to a clinical trial.
1: Oh, yes. And, 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 and I, you know, I think that's excellent, uh, Natalie, because when we think about, um, you know, we kind of call the menu and some of the work we're doing now with uh, when it comes to clinical trials. And we said, you know, Because we'll get the feedback like, well, what what worked with helping support your patients in trial? And I'm like, it's not one thing. You've got to have a menu of options from because like now, like like you're saying, like, you know, your time is precious. Like you're saying that, Natalie, and you're you're working for the company. Then we know the woman who, you know, may have one or two children plus work and has a job who may not or she cannot just take off, but needs That, you know, but it'd be important for her to participate based on her disease state or where she is health wise. What are the options for her? Do we need to have visits on the weekend? Mm -hmm. Do we need to have childcare services support somehow, like some type of reimbursement for that? Do we need to have home visits? You know, what are those resources that she needs? Because I'm a mom um, and I only have one. But I will tell you, if somebody asked me to do something extra right now, I don't know how I would do it. And so if if that's me, I can only imagine the woman who is in a far different position than I am. And so we've got to put that lens. And instead of just handing the protocol to the sites, we have to say, hey, I'm handing this protocol and I'm going to hand you a bunch of services that are going to support this whole process. Yes, how are
2: we removing those barriers? Because Jen, Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. I'm a mom of three.
1: And I don't know if I can take one more
2: thing on my plate, right? We have a responsibility and I'm going to, you know, I I think, you know, I'm one that I tell folks in my organization, I'm here to be disruptive. I'm going to challenge you because I do have that lens of understanding Mm -hmm. what women are going through. What are we doing to support and remove barriers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Are we looking at those protocols? Like Natalie said, from day one, Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. has the ability to go into a clinic for eight hours a day? right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, we got to make sure that we're putting realistic designs out there mm-hmm. where folks can truly fit into their lives if we want to increase the participation of everyone, um, but more importantly,
1: women, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and we, we've we even talked about decentral, uh, de- decentralizing uh, the trial activities. For example, one of my colleagues in uh, our nutrition, and, you know, nutrition, I mean, they take care of, you know, it could be babies to adults, and you know, one thing, you know, we, we discussed, you know, how are, are you able to work with other 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 companies and organizations to have situations where if a baby needs if you need a baby's weight because you're doing a nutritional study on the baby, can that baby's weight be done at a local, um, you know, uh, retail pharmacy? You yes. know, those are the type of questions we need to be asking ourselves. Can where, where can I get some of that information so that it is so not so burdensome uh, for the patient, because I, I think when trials started, you know, and I, I can't speak to the kind of the four persons of starting trials, but I think that sometimes there can be a sense that, well, yeah, this patient should just sign up, but, and, and not thinking of all the social determinants that are impacting them. Yes. And we, mm-hmm. this is where we're pivoting. So the question was, how do we ensure that the women are more included? We as companies have to pivot and look and you know, we're all we're about our patient, but we have to go one step further and say, you know, it's a privilege to have these patients participate. How do I make this easier for you? How because do we this makes it huge, easier. Yes. How do we make it easier for you? me laugh. You made me laugh and you say, you know, that we should
3: just, yeah, of course we should just sign up. I didn't even yeah. sign up for my local PTA for my kids' school <laughs> that is the, yeah. that I can see from my office window right here where I'm sitting.
1: Yes. No, I, yeah, because it's, I mean, all of us all, all admittedly are, we're parents, we're mothers, we're working mothers, you know, we may have partner spouses. Right. caregivers, yes, uh, care for, yeah, of our it, parents, yeah, yeah there's yes. so many dynamics, yeah. It, it's yeah. a lot, so we've got it, so this is where our creativity, I think that we know how to be creative from therapeutics, design, this is our next level of creativity where we as com- large companies are being challenged, how are we being even more creative for the trial patient?
0: Yeah. Wow. I think I saw a study just the other day of nearly half of women foregoing preventive care. I think it just really speaks to, as you all mentioned, the need for trials to really be designed around eliminating participation barriers at the center, not just saying, oh, you know, this is good. You should sign up for it. To close us out, can you share some examples of, you know, practical solutions that you may have implemented
3: yeah, I think Jen mentioned some already, but um, you know, flexible hours at the study site yes. to work with varying schedules. Um, uh, in some of our women's health programs, we've also um uh provided or facilitated childcare options near the study mm-hmm. site. Um had open house informational sessions so that um uh local groups could learn about the study to the to the point earlier about just not being aware of what what's in it for me. Um, So providing more of those informational sessions uh, and concierge services for logistical planning.
2: Yeah, I love that, Natalie. Like um, Jen talked about, decentralizing our trials, right? Thinking out of the box. I think we were forced to do it in COVID. And now you see pharmaceutical companies taking some of those learnings and bringing it over, right? Can you go to a central lab somewhere in your neighborhood? Can you go to the CVS or the Walgreens or some other Place to get your labs drawn, to get your, to get different things done. So I think we are really trying to think creatively about how we meet the needs of of our patients. And so in education, right, are we educating them on the disease state, on the importance of clinical trial participation and what that means? And then, you know, I, I think we can't leave without talking about the fact that in some communities, specifically communities of color, Um, There is a level of mistrust that goes along because there have been historical events that have happened. And Jen kind of hit on those. But, you know, we can't get away without talking about Tuskegee and the fact that, you know, there were trials done on these men and the Tuskegee syphilis experiment for 40 years. Right. And those things come with within communities of color. And we think about that. So it's our responsibility to talk to them about how things have changed how we now have things in place to protect them and that, you know, once you're in a trial, you can opt out at any time. I see. So I think there's some education that has to go on. Um, and um, it, it's, it's a lot of, of different uh, levers that we need to pull. Um, but we have a responsibility to do that for the patients that
3: we serve. I think I that, bears repeating that Tuskegee lasted for 44, years. hmm I, I just yes. want that to sit for a second, 40 yeah. years, 40 so years.
2: <laughs> but the other yeah. as- aspect of that is there was a treatment during the that time, right? <laughs> so you yeah. continue to experiment on men of color, black men, even though there was an, there was a actual treatment in place.
3: Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people say that, you know, people should be over Tuskegee, but I think it, it, it it's worth noting that Again, it lasted for 40 years. It didn't just impact the men that were in the trial yes. that weren't being treated. It mm-hmm. impacted their partners, their wives, their children, some of whom are still alive today. So it's not, it wasn't this blip in history, oops, my bad. It, it's this right. It's this issue, this pervasive issue that still is, is still present today.
2: But I, I do want to one thing because I think it kind of gets under my skin. I, I do want people to understand that that is one piece of the pie, right? The, the mm-hmm. distrust that exists, right? We have a responsibility um, to yes. even begin to ask to participate, right? So I think sometimes there's this misconception that um, communities of color don't participate because they have a level of mistrust for medical research. Um, we have to start changing that narrative and saying that may be one mm-hmm. piece of the pie, but we have
1: a responsibility to ask. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and it so the and I love everything that you guys were saying, and the education, you know, piece. I want to kind of kind of give a perspective on, you know, how we can make how we continue to make those shifts. So, this is a personal story, like during COVID, uh, and it was just in a, in my own household. Okay, and so there were some advertisements for um, the va- vaccine, signing up for vaccine trials, and so my husband. Uh, Highly educated, you know, uh, African American male uh, was watched the commercial and he said, "I would never sign up for a trial like that." And I said, "Tell me why." Okay, and I'm in the midst of designing, working on new programs. I said, "Tell me why." And he was like, "I don't know who's behind that, Jen." And I said, "And I said people like your wife." And he said, "I know." And he said, "I know you." And then, but it was a great light bulb moment. Because I went back and I said, you know what? The responsibility that we say we have, they don't see me. They don't see Stacy, They don't see Natalie. So one thing that we started doing is um, I said, they need to see who's behind it, that it's a reliable person like me, that I'm credible, that, and I'm a black woman, Mm -hmm. that, that I exist. And I, and I exist to, to help all. And that I'm, that I'm not like behind the scenes, you know, trying to impose harm. My goal at the end of the day is care. My goal is care. So we did create a series of videos, some of which we had people who look, you know, we said, we got to get the people who look like the community on the video from the physicians to the people who work at Abbott. And we did that. And I even, and I still do a video. uh, We uh, we do some video series, like for one of our trials, we want to remind patients, number one, thanking them for their work thanking them for for their participation and reminding them. So we just shot a video at the end of last year that's being blasted out to, to patients after it goes through our IRB, the IRB process. But it was that moment that I recognized how, you know, my, my own husband was, was very much like, I don't know who that is and how am I to trust them? And I said, we've got to actually reveal ourselves and our intentions and my hope is that you'll see that as a woman of color i am trustworthy and i hold what you ask me to do like when i you know, i hold that very critically and mm-hmm. with respect for your life and the life of your family and so i think that has to be that has to be you know it's an education piece but there's a visibility piece because it doesn't you know <clears throat> what happened in tuskegee that was a totally different look than now or today. And so I can't just say, you know, get over it. I have to do the work to show you, hey, I'm from that community and I'm part of this to to make, you know, to support and contribute to making medicine better.
3: Thank you for sharing. Thank you. And we have, I guess I get a similar thinking uh, at Advi as well that we really need to highlight ourselves because at least, you know, my team solely exists for this purpose of making sure that our trials are representative and that we're doing it in a way that's intentional, that's protective of our communities. um, And that's um, uh, just with the notion of having the patient first, right? The patient is our North star, Uh, every patient, not just a white patient, not just a black patient, but all patients. Um, And I just wanted to add to something um, that you both said before about um, including women, you know, we have published literature now that shows that women, uh, communities of color, they're just as likely to participate in clinical research if asked. And I think that if asked is that big difference maker, because a lot of, um, in a, in a lot of instances, they're not even being asked. So the opportunity to participate is being, is being made for them and not by them. And I think, I think we need to make sure that we're, um, helping our investigators and providing enough training um, so that those types of biases are reduced, if not eliminated, right? If that we can make sure that the investigator is allowing the patient to make that choice for themselves rather than the investigator making that choice for them.
2: Yeah. I love that, Natalie, actually educating patients to be um, empowered, right? To, to have those conversations. And I love the fact that you know as as a pharmaceutical industry we are doing better and you know here at gilead you know i tell my colleagues all the time and and i've said this several times on this podcast we have an obligation to ensure that all patients have access to the innovative drugs that
1: we make every day right that is exactly. our responsibility yeah exactly and and you know it's funny because i've said in with our um teams in which we doing this diversity and inclusion work is that what we have to also recognize every time I provide uh, these, uh, these improvements, the modernization of these trials, yes, it's with a focus knowing that I have to do some more intentional work to get more people of color and women involved, but it helps the whole, every single patient's benefited. P- yes. Because they they have options and and I'm not looking at a lens of like well um, did it help this group versus that group more it's actually a lens of look at how much we've improved you know the pay you know the whole trial ecosystem by doing this work and I think that's like what you said every patient matters every patient is available and I mean and Natalie you need to coin that one. Patients are our North Star. That actually is something that we all need to say. It's true. I love it. It, it, I love it. Like, patients are our North Star. And so, if I'm about all patients, then I know that I'm going to do the work. And sometimes I'm going to have to do a little more work to get some other, you know, maybe the women or maybe the people of color um, part, you know, part of uh, the whole trial work. But we're going, you know, but everyone is our North Star. I love it. Well, it's so great to hear about all
0: the advancements going on around education, awareness, flexibility, and hopefully continue to see progress and, and advancements in that area. And Jen, I love what you said about, you know, really not being able to have education, meaningful education that's effective without visibility from, from those, you know, running, running the clinical trials. So well, and Natalie, Jen, thanks so much for your time and thoughts today. I'd also like to thank Abbott as well for sponsoring the episode, and if you missed part one of this two-part series, you can visit the Becker's Healthcare podcast page to listen to that, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.